to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking up and finishing up uh, chapter 3 of uh, the book of uh, Philippians. And so then we just have about three weeks left in um, the finish up the book. And then we'll head into our Advent season. So we'll do five weeks um, through the Advent of Christ. And, um, and then we'll get into that, that uh, January season where we kind of look at you know, what matters most or kind of an kind of uh, idea of trying to think through the, the coming year and to have some spiritual um, focus and direction in that. And so we spend three or four weeks looking at that. And then, if you remember, we're going to pick back up where we left off in Acts and we're going to go through our second session of Acts. So um, this coming spring of 2024, we will do part two of Acts. We did part one uh, the the uh, previous spring, and then uh, Lord willing, we'll do the uh, the third part of Acts in spring of 2025. It's just a big book and uh, a lot to cover, and you don't want to skip over things. But it's a um, kind of an exciting time um, to to be looking at the book of Acts. Um, we're going to see today uh, this contrast to the type of life that Paul had just discussed, uh, this, this Christ-centered living that he had expressed in the previous verses, and now he turns to give a, a warning uh, to those who are living the exact opposite goal of life. He had just previously um, told us, this is what I live for. My whole goal, my whole identity is being found in Christ to, to gain him and, and everything else has become rubbish. And we'll read, I'll go back and grab some of that um, as we read through this section. But I want to show you the, some of the main points that Paul's wanting them to get uh, this morning. And so you see these three main points there um, that he's showing to the book, uh, to the people of Philippi, but also to us today. The first one is, some live as walking active enemies to the cross of Christ. So that first one is, some live as walking active enemies to the cross of Christ. And then secondly, um, is believers are citizens living in exile, awaiting our Savior. Citizens are, uh, believers are citizens living in exile, wait, awaiting our Savior. And the third one is, Christ Jesus will transform our bodies into resurrected bodies. So um, some pretty big things there to, to consider. Um, let me uh, turn to that. And so we have um, verses 18 through 21, which is what we're covering today. We have those on the screen, but I want to reach back so because it's a contrast. There's a word, but that starts it out. Um, so it's a contrast word. So I'm going to go back and grab verses um, 7 through 11 and then 13 through 17, and then we'll read um, 18 through 21. But I wanted to remind you of what Paul has just said. This is a Christ-centered life. This is the way that we should be living. Um, and then follow in, after, follow in uh, imitate me, but also those others who are walking in this way. And then we'll see our section today is, but be warned, there are some people among you who are living this other way. And so let's read this. Um, we'll do 7 through 11 and then 13 through 17. If, if you want to look, look in your Bible or your device. Let's see where I started. But whoever, I'm sorry, but in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's saying right there, this is me. This is what I found as the goal of life. This is my identity. This is what I live for. This is who I live for. Everything is encompassed in, enveloped in my, my love for Christ. And then in verses 13 through 17, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in me, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So now the section that we're covering today. For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So, Father, we come thanking you for um, your word to Paul, your word to the Philippians, and your word to us today. Um, we can see similarities in the um, surrounding culture that the Philippians were dealing with, with governments that were not Christian, with um, uh, rulers that were not Christian, with um, cultural um, patterns and, and moral um, rules and mores that, that did not fit with the Christian way of living. And so we're going to see, Father, that um, you have a plan for us, not only to live as citizens and exiles and sojourners, but not only can we survive, but we can actually flourish as the kingdom of God. It may be difficulty. It may be um, painful. It may be um, rejoicing. It may be um, sustained um, obedience over time in the midst of a culture that, that doesn't understand, but, but we can still flourish as the people of God, as citizens of heaven living here on earth. And so would you encourage us while you warn us, Father? We thank you for the work of the Spirit. We pray that he would come and, and truly help us to assess our own hearts, um, our own lives, our own thinking, all of those matters, and help us to give uh, greater glory to you and have greater affections for you. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so um, the first thing that we're, we're going to look at there is that first point, um, some live as walking active enemies of the cross of Christ in verses 18 and 19. Um, and notice the first thing that Paul says, he has this shepherding heart because he, he says there's many as I've often told you, and tell you even with tears now. And so you see this heaviness, that, that it, it's broken his heart. There, there's tears involved with this. But he starts out by saying, I, I want to warn you, there, there's many who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, think through this. Paul, this is about 30 years after Jesus had passed away, right, on the cross and resurrected. And so 30 years earlier, Jesus famously and repeatedly um, 
gave these warnings. So if you remember in, in the Beatitudes and in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the first time that he kind of made his introduction where he, he got really well known, uh, it was kind of a slap in the face to the crowd that was gathered. And so if you remember one of the things that he was talking to was bringing up was it was for the, the, the commoner, the people that were just, just regular common folks. And, and, and there was the religious elite. And what he was saying there is some of you that are very, very religious are going to miss the kingdom. So if you remember the same idea here, Jesus brought out. Jesus, and this is in um, uh, Matthew 7. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So some people think that they are citizens of heaven. They even think that they've got this closeness and this, this, this intimacy where they, they, they call him the right thing. Lord, Lord. At the day of judgment, I mean, I know I've got this life going over here, but, but I know I'll be able to say, well, Lord, Lord, it's me. And he says, many, not, not a few, many are going to say to me in that day. And this is not, so this is not the part of the world that just has nothing to do with, with, with Christ or the Bible or God or heaven. This is people that think that they have a connection with him. They think that they have this connection. And he says, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, those are the ones who are definitely in Christ, the ones who have been changed. So notice Paul 30 years later saying, Many of you sitting here listening to this, many of you being exposed to this, you need to be aware of where your heart's at. He told us beforehand, and now I'm telling you, and I've told you this repeatedly. Notice what he says, I've told you this repeatedly, and now I say it with tears. He was right. Jesus was exactly right. And now we're going to get into some stuff today that, that, that I think some of us would go, yeah, oh, clearly, that, yeah, clearly, I mean, they deserve hell. I mean, yeah, look how they live. They don't even care. I mean, just pitiful, disgusting, oh, just horrible stuff. But then he goes into some categories where we go, oh, man, this, like, you could have these things and be like church leadership. In fact, some churches, like, promote this. Like, that's the sermon. Is like, live like this. God is obligated to make your life like this. You deserve this. And we're exalting the very things that this book in Philippians, Paul's saying, I'm warning you. Many people are walking that pathway. Wide is the, the path to destruction, and many go with it. And so he says, this warning about sin, it's so alluring. It's so deceiving. And our selfish desires are so powerful that even well-meaning folks prove they're not disciples. So think through, why do you sin? Temptation pops in your head. Could be something that someone else kind of, you know, you're sitting with three or four people. I'm like, oh God, did you hear about what Cindy did? Oh my God, I can't stand Cindy. Me, me too. And it just goes around the circle. Like, you know what she did to me last year? Cindy did this. And then, and so here's this, and you're just going, oh, I got a whole list about Cindy. Let me pull this out. I've got like notes on my phone. Like I've got a Facebook uh, thread that I'm on. I'm, I've got a, a thread. And like, here's this temptation. Why do you sin? Is it because you don't know that it's wrong? Is it because you don't love Jesus enough? Any temptation that pops up, why, why do you sin? Is it because you don't believe that there's a day of judgment for your soul? Is it because you don't believe in two separate places, uh, one of eternal damnation and one of eternal life? No, you, you probably believe in those things. For, for us, a lot of us in the Bible Belt, sin can be that powerful, that deceiving. 
Jesus said, on that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? You see, it's people who think that they are truly, truly Christians. They were there, and, and don't don't get confused there. So prophesying in that language in that day, that was just any types of conversation. It didn't have to be a person standing up like in the marketplace, like in the name of the Lord, I prophesy that this is going to happen. Like no, no, this is people talking about and talking about godly stuff, talking about things like that. So it's not just those. And, and he's don't think of it's just the people with spiritual gifts of prophetic. He's saying people that are talking about the gospel, talking about God. Didn't we do that? In your name, God, we honored you. Didn't we cast out demons? Like, I, I've been around three times when so, we got the call, you know, and, and they just said, hey, Sankey, we this is this person, they don't go to your church, they're freaked out. They're, they're at this situation, and, and they don't know what to do, but they think there's something about demons. We called the Catholic Church. They didn't want to come. Will you guys come? And so, like, you're, I mean, what boots do you put on for that? You know, like, what gloves? Well, you just start going, like, oh, my gosh, I've seen movies about this. I know there's some scriptures. Seminary, there was not a full class. Why did my seminary not train us for this? Like, you know, you, you bring boxing gloves in. You do all kinds of things. One time, Jamie and I just got, we, we was a, it was a couple in our first three years of marriage, and it was a couple, and they were, they were taking over the youth group when we were leaving we were going to the traveling team going into missions and this is the couple that had been led up to the church and 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 we had some questions about some stuff going on in their marriage and some different things we had some questions and, and but but our, our leadership like we were moving on they're like hey we're gonna they, they've been coming for like three months we think that'd be great and so we we're like okay uh we don't know them real well but all right and so then we get a call oh she's possibly overdosed so we go to the hospital that would have been a strike probably. And so, um, but then we go to the hospital and so her feet are down here, her husband's standing there. And so we start praying. And um, as I lay my hands on her feet and Jamie lays her hands on her feet and she's been out completely, like, you know, sedated and everything. Her husband's standing to my right. And all of a sudden, not like a, uh, but a deep, like that. What, what do you do? Like, it's not a burp. It's not a, it's not, it's not. And so if you know the spiritual, if you just study a little bit of spirituality. So anytime there's um, uh, a lot of drug use and, and things like that, you're opening yourself up. And also she had been involved with the occult before. It's clear. There, there's, if she's a believer, it's demonic. It's not possession, but it, it's demonic attack. And so she, she, I, I don't know if she's a believer or not, but now we're praying for this future youth leader and and all of a sudden this growling what do you do so we open our eyes and all you can do is keep you can either run or you just keep praying right and so you're trying to think through everything in the name of jesus in the blood of jesus i look up and her husband is completely step back now hands not on her and just going like i'm sure what what's happening what is am i married to her what's going on so um when these things go on we don't see this a lot we don't have this a lot right there's churches all over that we do this but this is people that are saying, we did this regularly, Jesus. We did this all the time. And you and I, it, it's pretty rare. Pretty significant supernatural things. That would look like that you cared about Jesus, you cared about the kingdom, you cared about salvation, you cared about other people. He's one many that are doing those things. I'm going to say, depart from me. You never, you never knew me. You weren't in Christ. Those who do mighty works in your name, and I will declare, I never knew you. So Jesus warned them 30 years earlier, and Paul is saying, many are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and let me tell you what that looks like. 
is what he's about to do. Um, so enemies of the cross of Christ, he said that he's done this repeatedly. He sees people with such little regard to Christ and his cross. It moves Paul to tears. Notice, this is Paul. We, we went through 2 Corinthians, his, his list of all the things he's been through, all his persecutions and beatings and being stoned and being beat down, uh, left for dead, all the shipwrecks, being bit by a snake, all these things. Did he ever mention? And this has brought me to tears. None of those things that he ever mentioned. And I am just ex- exhausted to the point where I'm just broken in tears. But what breaks him into tears? is seeing people living as if the cross of Christ and Jesus doesn't matter. Do you see people living this way with little regard to Christ and his cross? And I'm surrounded, probably 80% of the time, by people who really solidly believe that they're, they're believers. And yet you just wonder from the things that they're doing, from the things they're saying, for the things that they completely thrust their whole life into, the driving force of their life is this other thing. Yet they probably attend a place. They probably go randomly or maybe regularly. And so Paul's saying, such little regard to Christ, and it breaks my heart. Now, this is different. This this group of people are different than the former opposing people that Paul had already mentioned. Do you remember we talked about those who are trying to produce their own righteousness, live in their own righteousness? Remember Paul went through his whole list like, oh, if anyone has a list and, 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 and a list of things that would qualify them, man, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I, I'm a Pharisee when it comes to these things. So he went through that and said, but that is not what we base it on. It's on Christ alone, faith alone, by grace alone right? And so Paul is not talking about those people. They, if you remember, they had been trying to enforce Judaism and the Mosaic law and circumcision onto people. They were adding works and adding rules to to, to God's word, right? And this is not that group of people. These are the ones who say, we have no regard for that. Now, but notice this, here's the difficulty. It's people who understand it and, and know about things, but they're just making a personal decision like that one doesn't apply to me. That one doesn't apply to me. So they're involved around these things, but they have no regard when it comes to the heart issue. So this in the in the Luke 15 section, this would be the younger brother types that we would look at. Some of this we look at and go, man, this is these people that would clearly be um, uh, just running wildly from God versus what, what we saw in that first part of the book about the older brother types. So he says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So the four realities of these active enemies is, first of all, their telos, and that's the word that he uses there um, for their end is destruction. The, the second thing is it's their appetites. When he says their God is their belly, it's their appetites. That speaks of our loves, our desires. So again, why, why do you sin? Is it because you don't know the rule? Because you don't love God? No, it's because... You, at this moment, I love this a lot more. You shut up and sit down. I'll be God over this area of my life. You shut up and sit down. I'll let you know when a crisis comes. You shut up and sit down. I'm God right now. I will play God. You don't know what's best. I know selfishly what's best. Their desires. The other thing is their pride. It's my way Christianity. And then their minds, so their thinking. So they worship at the altar of primal lusts and desires. They pursue sin with no consciousness. It's scary because you can attend Christian stuff and still live for your telos. 
You can still have these loves and desires. You can still pursue my way Christianity and have all of that thinking and still attend or go through the motions. And so Paul's going, this scares me and breaks my heart. This is very concerning. So their end, their telos, he says, um, their end is destruction. It's a bit of a play on words because um, um, they believe life is found in pursuing these things. I'm spending my life pursuing these things. This is what I'm going towards, the ultimate goal. This is what I'm living for. I'm throwing my life into this. He's going, you're, you're giving all of your life, thinking you're okay, and it's leading you to a cliff of destruction. Their end is destruction. But what they, what they think is, I'm doing the right things. But notice he's saying, no, you're actually throwing your life. You're giving your life to this, but saying something else over here. You're saying you're a follower of Christ, but your actions, your time, your energy is pursuing this over here. Um, their God is their belly. This is about their appetites, their desires. He, Paul refers, he uses the word belly a lot of times. That was for the Jews, the, the belly was the, the center, uh, the driving center of things for them. And so for Paul, when he mentions it, um, he's saying it metaphorically it refers to the seat or the controlling center of their inward desires. So these are driving forces, desires. Uh, if you remember that book that I've talked about, James K.A. Uh, 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 Smith. Uh, Jamie Smith, he uh, has that book, You Are What You Love. Because a lot, I challenge you to read it. He's, he's a heady, it's a deep thinking, it's a great, great book. But he challenges the church when we think that it's only about what you think. And that's why I keep saying, like, why do you sin? It's not just your thinking. It's like you lay down the thinking because you love this. I'm, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to do this. I know it's wrong. Your loves, he goes, you are, your identity is formed out of what you actually love. And we don't like to see it that way. And hey, that doesn't have to be like that gross, horrible stuff, that category of stuff that you think of, like Christians, like, oh, that's disgusting. Again, it could be memberships everywhere, um, dress, vehicles, car, job, status, everyone respects us, same thing. So it can look really, really good and shiny, or it can look really, really uh, debaucherous and just, just dangerous and he's going both of those things you've got to be aware um that god is their belly their desires their driving things you are what you love and you're being misled you're not in love with jesus um this brings up also uh, an idea in some other places where paul uses this it's talking about unbridled sensuality it's also talking about gluttony some of those vices that we struggle with some of those type things. It can be this kind of category, this suitcase of those type um, sins. Um, sexual immorality without any conviction. The third one he mentions is they glory. They take pride in things that should be shameful. They, they glory in their shame. Um, they, notice pride. What was it that Lucifer fell? Hey, thanks for making me like this. Haven't even created the, the the people on the earth yet, but man, I'm pretty fancy. I'm a choir leader. I, I'm beautiful. I'm powerful. I think I'm kind of as good as you, God. And that's we know that's the fall of Lucifer, right? He wanted to be like God. What what was step one? Adam and Eve. What can I get them on? What can I get them on? Hey, you want to be like God? That tree. I know He's giving you all this good stuff, but man, you're missing out. Don't you want to be like God? Pride, same thing that he goes into with him, same thing that brought him down, same premise that he tempted Adam and Eve with. It's the idea that I will be my own sovereign. 
I know what's best for me. I don't care about your rules. Again, you shut up and sit down on this one. I'll do what I want to do. Um, a large general category of shameful things. And notice that it's moved to the thing of they're doing it, they're doing these things and living these things, and it used to be shameful, but now they're glorying in it. They're prideful in it. So we know there's whole categories of things here since the 50s and 60s, but specifically since the 90s or the 2000s to where, where people that would live in, in all kinds of sexual immorality or homosexuality, or any kinds of, I mean, any kinds of alities, um, that, that now it's not a, a, a kind of a small section or margin of, of culture and society. Um, it's not hidden and shameful. Um, it is, I mean, not only proud, but you are an enemy and you are a hater if you even say, I just think that the Bible says this is clear, right? And so what's interesting about that, that that's, a, that's an interesting place to be. Uh, they glory, they show pride, outwardly showing off these acts and lifestyles. Um, where it used to be a disgraced part of culture, now it, it's celebrated. Now people pridefully flaunt and take pride in clear actions and choices and lifestyles that used to put people to shame. I think through young people right now, man, thank the Lord that we did not have cameras with us all the time when I was a teenager. Like, I remember there, we would do some silly, dumb stuff. I remember one time we took my dad's camera. He had the one that sat on your shoulder that weighed about 18 pounds. That was, had the VHS. Kids, you don't know what VHS is. Just Google it. And so VHS tapes that fit in it, which is you know couldn't fit in your pocket even, just the case. And there was bridges around Salisaw and creeks. And I, I, we would go to these places, and there was these bridges. And you, you could, it's probably three stories, four stories up. And we would go jumping off these bridges into the, the creek down there. No one occurred to us, like, why don't someone go down first and make sure it's not three feet of water or something? We'd just pull up, park on the side, and then just jump off. Well, I was like, hey, let's, let's go get let's go get camera. And we had one friend who could do, like, backflips off of it, you know? And so I was like, man, it's pretty cool. We'd do some fun stuff. Um, if my boys ever do this, I'll kill you. But so we took our camera out there doing that stuff. There's times that people kind of got hurt, you know? And you're like, oh, man, I bet that hurt. And so we would do that. It's a lot worse. That's nothing. Just click on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. I, what used to be shameful is now paraded and exalted. And we know that we think of Hollywood as being the, the, the culprit in that. In Roman provinces, Philippi, there were small sects living this way, but it was not an accepted way of living. In America, there's always been small sects living in, in these ways, but not an accepted way of living. With the changes that have occurred, not, not, not even going back 30 years or 20 years, but just since from 2010 to 2023, maybe in five to 10 years, it may be illegal or punishable by jail for me to even talk about this and to say this marginalized thing is wrong according to this. I'm not trying to be mean. Don't hate you. Come into my life. Come hang out. Have dinner with us. But let's talk about what's going on in your life. But, but this is the deal. And if this guy really died and rose from the grave, man, it just, it, it's not interpreted wrong. And that's what many people will land on. Like, man, I, I don't hate you. Man, I love you. Just as much as the liar that's you know, in my life, 
that I am sometimes, the, the greedy, selfish person that's in my life that I am sometimes, uh, the person that's addicted to sex and addicted to um, all kinds of things, um, the person that's uh, struggling with um, just, just being so selfish and greedy with their time, the person that's so mean and angry all the time, all, all those things, this says it's wrong. And that if you're living in that, you haven't understood Jesus and what he did for you and that he, he doesn't want you to walk in that anymore, that you need transformation and change. Same line of sins. Yours is not any worse than the others, but you better get some of Jesus or it's not going to be good. And so that's maybe going to be illegal. Five to ten years, possibly. If you're going to preach that, hey, you can gather, but just don't have certain things that you teach out of that book. That's changed since 2010, right? And it may change very quickly. Um, to teach that from the Bible might be illegal to say this is sin. So, so far, uh, he's been talking about these enemies of Christ, of cross. Uh, would, it, would it would possibly be clearly seen as the, the dirty, sensual, sexually immoral, shameful, disgusting things that, that good moral citizens obviously would not partake in. But now he goes with a, a broader, more acceptable category. Not only accepted, but as I said earlier, it could be even exalted within the church. He says, those with minds that are set, that are fixed, on earthly things. And so Paul uses that verb there, uh, mindset on earthly things. That This idea there has been kind of captured and focused. He uses it repeatedly. I actually had like eight different verses there in the, just in Paul's letters. Uh, it's people who are obsessed with earthly things. They do not see themselves as obsessed with earthly things. In fact, they assume, I'm just living the life just like everyone else. They have missed the very essence of who Jesus is and what he wanted his followers to be about. Um, it's living and indulging the flesh in just maybe earthly things, uh, uh, material things, um, loving idols. It doesn't have to be an object. No, 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 we live very minimally. But man, all of your time is just spent on you, you, you. It, it's nothing. Don't kid yourself. It's nothing about the kingdom. It's nothing about the gospel that saved you. It's nothing about the cross that saved you. That, and that's the scary part for me. I, I just feel like that's the ones that Jesus is going to go, I'm sorry, you're part of the, the group of the many. What? You just thought you could live how you wanted to and attend every once in a while? Or, 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 or man, even you, you were above the rest. You even wrote a check. Once a year, you helped with a, you know, like the little two-hour service thing that we did. You didn't understand me. What part was not clear to you? It's selfishly using all that God has provided, not seeing it as um, being blessed to be a blessing, but instead storing up, acquiring more. We, we got a little more? Well, let's use it for more. We got a little more? Let's use it for more. More, 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 more. What's enough? In Philippians 2, remember Paul said, in humility, count others more significant. Same book. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own needs, but to the needs of others. Have that mind among you, which you have in Christ Jesus. It's there if he's changed you and if you're in Christ. People do not realize their evil works are just that, active attacks on the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what if at Judgment Day, Jesus has this line as people come up, hey, hey, them, they're, they're over there. There's this, this group over there. Yeah, since then, they're over there. Yep, they're over there. Yep, those, yeah, they're over there. And you're kind of just like, oh, uh, over here, this yellow line, get over here on this one. Okay, and he's going through this, and, and it comes out that this, this category, all of these people, single file line, 
many, and they all thought that they knew me. And can I give you a category for that, that whole group? The American dream. I don't have to sell that. We know it. We, people have bought into it like a pit bull that's been trained with their teeth just clenched in and hanging. You can beat that dog and beat that dog to try to get them to let go, and they're not going to because it tastes good, and it sells good. And churches will go, hey, Mr. CEO, you write that check. You heard about our leadership board? Hey, you got some extra money? Have you heard what all our church is doing? We're doing all these things. We'd love for you to come and be a leader because look how sex, successful you are. We want our people to see these successful people. Hey, I'll start a leadership podcast, a po- podcast um, about just leadership in the name of God, all that God is obligated to make you. Don't you want to be the best you can for God? See that? That feel good? That pride? That, oh, man. I knew I could be even better. You go be this because everyone will be impressed. We, we need that type of leader. All the, instead of, no, drop that stuff. Are you in love with Jesus Christ? Man, it sells. It sells books, grows churches, makes people famous. The American dream. Those who live for that stuff, confused that they thought that was a Christian life. In Luke 16, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. No, 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 no. I'm good then. I'm good. I don't. I don't hate, I don't hate Jesus. I don't. And, and love the other. That's not me. That's not me. See, I didn't hate God. There's a big or there, though. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one. And despise the other. No, no, no. But, but really, I think I can. I think I can manage my love and my devotions and keep God first. You ask anyone else? Is that pretty subjective? God, no, God's first, obviously. And here's the 99.99999% of my church. I mean, of, of my life, my time, my, my strategies, my living, everything I throw myself into. Oh, no, no. But I, I've got God first. And from God's perspective, from his understanding, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Are there 70%, 80%, 90% evidences in our lives that we're devoted to carnal things? That's a difficult one for us Americans, isn't it? Listen, no one thinks they're a believer, no one who thinks they're a believer realizes they are living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. No one's going, oh, I think that's the T-shirt I wear. Nobody sees that. But from God's perspective, he is despised in comparison to all things that they know and love and actually are devoted to. Jesus knows hearts. He says they will be devoted to the one. So think through that. Where, where does your heart land on that? Where, where does your heart land on these matters? Any chance, are any of these are relatable. Their God is their desires. Their pleasures. They take pride in what they should shame, what should shame them. Their minds are set on earthly things instead of eternal things. So I know that's a very, very difficult section. That's stuff we do not like to hear. No one likes anyone tapping on your little golden calf. 
No one likes anyone pressing you on those things. And yet God in love is going, this is what's best for your heart. I know this is hard to hear. I see entire churches who teach this last one as the goal of the Christian life. That last one there, mindset on earthly things. You can do that and be exalted to leadership, given as the example. You made this much money. You're this successful. This is what we want to exalt. And Paul's saying, and you should be warned. Many are going to follow that. And then thankfully he flips it. But he goes, hey, you don't have to live that way. Many, uh, many are going to live that way and be captivated by those things. But then look at verse 20 there. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So, so a beautiful picture there. So um, our, our name of our church is Sojourn Church. It amazes me that people just don't even understand. So I'll read some churches' names. I'm like, man, that's really weird. And then ours, I think people are like, everyone should get it. And so the word sojourner is it, just a person who realizes, like, this is not my home. This is a temporary um, sojourn through. It's sojourning through life. It's living as an exile, okay? Um, it, it's, it, we realize that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, here's the neat thing about if you're truly a child of God. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. So he pronounced and, and was he inaugurated the kingdom on the earth. Now, it's already here, but not fully. Because we're still here on earth that has fallen, and we have sinful hearts, every one of us. Even the child of God has sinful hearts, right? And so um, the, the citizenship is in heaven means that we're living here already in the kingdom, should be living for the kingdom. Again, so those things that we just talked about, that shouldn't be the clear evidence of 90% of your life, 60% of your life, 40% of your life. No, you're living for the kingdom, um, your citizenship is in heaven where we await a savior. So now the definition for sojourner is someone who is living in a place that's not your home. Contrast that with the person living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Do you see that huge separation there, huge difference? And Paul says that you are citizens of a new kingdom. We are living as exiles. So think through this. Um, we've entered into a new period for the Christian subgroup in the U.S., Okay, so Christian subgroup, so for uh, over 100 years it's been, it was, you know, the, the moral society, um, the, the good conservative moral society was good, so as long as you went to church or did things that the Christian group said, oh yeah, hey, well, let's, let's team up with that and let's, let's be a part of that, uh, but now it's like, hey, that's, that's kind of diminished, and it feels like all of a sudden this huge majority that had power and, and, and influence, it's small, and this, these small voices up here become really, really large, Right? Um, we've entered into a new period for Christian, the Christian subgroup in the U.S. The people of God had always been this, though. So when your heart's going, it's so frustrated with all these changes in culture, it's okay. Hey, you're citizens of heaven. We're, we're awaiting a Savior. It's okay. It's okay. He's coming back. We have opportunity not only to survive, but to flourish. So think through this. Adam and Eve. Exiled. Here, here's a perfect, perfect scenario. Per everything's good, good, good. Just like I want it. Oh, you sinned. Sin came in. You separated yourself from me. Now you're hiding in shame. What does God do? I'm going to just kill you and slap you down. I'm going to come pursue you. Hey, where are you at? Where are you at right now? You're hiding from me. I've only been good to you. He goes after the exiles and says, I, I want my presence to be with you in the exile. You're out of Eden now? I'm going to recreate a new Eden. I'm going to recreate all things. Come be with me. My presence is the goal. Abram, hey, Abram, 
Your whole family, you don't even know about. They didn't even know where he was at. They didn't even know about the God of Israel, okay? They had different gods. He hears a clear voice. That was a voice. Like, I don't, I've never heard a voice from God, okay? I hear it in the scriptures, and the Spirit leads my mind, but I haven't heard an audible voice. Thank you, do this. Right? And so this was, Abram, go to the land that I will show you. Which one? How do I know where to stop? Just keep going. Just keep going. Abraham, go to the Abram, go to the land I will show you. Abram left and went into exile with God's presence the whole time. He lived the rest of his life in exile, not with his people, um, not with his, his, his father's people, not in the land that he grew up in. Lived in exile the whole life. But what was it? It was a, lot, a life of blessing because of the presence of God. Israel, the whole nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the offspring lived in exile the whole time. Believers exiled from our true home, citizens of a country that were not yet inhabited fully. In this cultural time period, is this not what true believers feel is happening in the U.S. in these last few years? Man, as believers, it's sure getting tough. Man, they're doing this in and, and different places and different states. They're doing this. The laws, our government, all this stuff. One author stated like this, We haven't changed where we live, but where we live is changing fast. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So living is exile. So what's the point? We, we not only can survive because of God, but we can flourish. So here's some things. There's a, there's a book that just came out about the de-churched, um, uh, the de-churching that's going on. But, but they brought out at the end that the exiles. Here, here's some things that they brought out. Uh, exiles, number one, they promote the advance of the gospel. It, it's real clear. They have conversations with people about living clearly for Christ or what that means not to live for Christ. So conversations. So living in exile, it should be a distinction so we could have conversations. It should promote the advance of the gospel. Living in exile, it confronts our idols of power and control, though. We'll talk about that in a second. When you are in exile and not living in the place that where you were with, with power, control, things that you like, man, when you feel like it's a minority feeling all of a sudden, Man, some people just cannot handle that. They do not like that. When, when other groups have lived in, my, in the minority sense their whole life and have had to learn to deal with that, it confronts our idols, idols of power and control. All other things is exiles, it, places, um, it puts us in places where we depend on the Lord incredibly more. I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's going on with the family. don't like what's going on with sexuality, with gender. don't like what's going on with finances. don't like the economy. don't like um, all the wars going on. Depend more on the Lord when you're feeling like you're living in exile. Exile shows us our new and better identity. Exile requires life-on-life, shoulder-to-shoulder discipleship. And then also, uh, exile requires radical generosity. So if you're Christ, you're living for a different value system. If you're in Christ, you have to have food and shelter and family, but you should be living for eternal things, not living for the same things as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And that's tough because no one likes their, their golden calf talked about. No one wants their worldly desires confronted. So what are we supposed to do when all these shifts start happening, all these changes in culture, um, the, the cultural norms, the accepted mores? What's the first reaction of many believers when we start seeing these things, when all your news things and all your blips on your screen start talking about, in this state, this happened, this thing happened, this thing. Cultural norms are, are changing and changing. It feels like we're just being minimized and we're small. What happens? Fear and control issues. 
It feels like you're losing control. It feels like that big, that huge Christian subgroup is really losing its power, right? One pastor said he addressed his large congregation with this. This is two or three years ago. This is what this guy said. He'd been pastoring there for a while. He said, if I have the privilege of pastoring this church for the next two decades, a large part of my ministry will be walking with predominantly white Christians through the loss of power in our society. We'll be sitting down having coffee with an angry person, frustrated person, because they were always in the majority and had power, control. I have to walk them through that. It wasn't very well received in his large church. If the message wasn't received very well, how will the reality a few years later be? Don't like this. Do not like this. Do not like this. Here's the government that I want. I want here's the people in the seats of power. Don't like this. What's that felt like for everybody else the whole time? Other countries don't even have the democracy that we have. What's going on that people get huffy and upset over just even a guy suggesting that could be so if when I said that, if that flared up your Fox News or it flared up your whatever, uh, you know, like uh, political things, like, man, what, what gets us huffy about that? We're citizens of heaven. We're waiting a savior. He's our answer. This new one of these pundits, these political guys, these, these, these people that are doing all the political stuff, they're not our savior. A new government, uh, even an end of war, that's not our savior. Our economics, all those things, that's not our savior. We're, we're citizens of heaven. I can still be faithful with all these things, making disciples and doing these things in my life, and all that stuff's going on, and we're going to be okay. But man, it feels good to flare up and go on social media or to just get angry and to fall and just bite into those algorithms and let them direct and control and just let you worship at their feet. Our trust is in our awaited Savior. We're eagerly awaiting this beautiful Savior. All of us are sojourners and exiles, and yet we have one who has gone before us. So what did Jesus do? Why, why is it okay to be an exile? Man, heaven was nice. Man, it didn't have the Lynch family there. It didn't have your family there. It didn't have all the sexual immorality, all the kids being abused, all the ridiculous, horrible abuses that go on in this world. No world, just God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And they were wonderfully in unity. Jesus wasn't a bad little kid over in the corner. It was wonderful. It was glorifying. It was perfect. It was holy. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave that. He humbled himself and come here because of you and I. Not in spite of us, but because of the fact of how dirty and bad it was. All the horrible things that we just went through, that Paul went through, Jesus says, hey, I'll be in exile. Because, man, I can make you a citizen of heaven. I'm the one who can change that. I'm the one who can bring you up to my heavenly abode, and it's going to be just unbelievable, unfathomable. Jesus was the first one to leave um, his um, heavenly home to, to come and exile himself into our sin, to die for our sin, and then to say, I want to redeem you to bring you back to the place where all of this will be taken care of. Where we know now that the new heavenly citizens of heaven, when it's fully, it's no more sin. It's no more pain. It's no more suffering. It's no kids being abused. It's no more fighting. It's no more wars. It's no more indwelling sin because of Jesus' righteousness. He provided the forgiveness we need at the cross. He provided the righteousness we're going to live in in all eternity. 
so we can rest and rejoice and not lose heart, reminding ourselves that we are citizens of another place. Our citizenship is in heaven. So let's not be shamefully giving our heart and selling out to everything in this world, acting like this lifetime is the end goal. Uh, let's not be shamefully living in fear and fighting as the world fights when we, we don't get our way, when we lose power, when things get difficult. Get ready. We've got a year of election. It's November. Happy birthday. It's November. We've got a year of election stuff going on all over the place. Life is a vapor. The same reminder as in looking at the enemies of the cross of Christ, we cannot live for two kingdoms. You will worship one and despise the other. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we have to keep that as our focus. We await this glorious Savior. And Paul said that he's going to transform our bodies to glorified bodies. And so in that, that was the humble nature of our fallen bodies. He's going to resurrect the body. So the Bible says that those, those that are dead are going to rise first. There's going to be this supernatural thing that happens. It's instantaneous. For those that rise out of the grave, they'll have a supernatural body. That, that, now this is imperishable. Our body now is perishable. We'll have a new body. We, there's so many questions. Will we have DNA? Will we have, um, uh, be able to eat the same stuff and use the bathroom the same way? Will we have same personality? So there is going to be something about this new body. It's going to be like his in a glorified state. It's going to be similar to this. But, but notice all the people that saw Jesus afterwards, even the closest guys, he was something that looked different. He wasn't different like he had wings or he was eight foot tall like a, a huge angel. He looked just like a normal person, except Jesus, even with Jesus, he had um, the scars on his side, the scars in his hand, the scars on his feet. So now that may, that little particular thing, like scholars debate, like all of us, if you had like a big scar, like, you know, from riding your bicycle at four, you know, like you're not going to heaven and have that scar. Jesus was a little bit more important, his scars. So that was an identifier, like, no, it's really me, Jesus. I'm the one who rose from the grave. But all those things, this new body will not be um, ever destroyed by disease, by pain, by, by death, by aging. Now, questions again, like, are, are, are there going to be children? Are, are there going to be animals? Are there going to be pets? I mean, you just got to think through, that stuff is not spoken to by, by the Bible. So we have to think through, what, what do we know about God? But we know that we're going to have an imperishable body, and he says, he is the one that does this. It's all him who does this. Um, we will live in eternity, not in bodiless human existence. We will live in eternity, not in a soul sleep type of experience. Right now, there's a grow. You may not know this. There's a growing idea. Gen Z likes this also of like, well, let's not get you know, caught up in the details of really bad people that go to hell and good people that go to heaven. And so the idea of heaven and hell, even in, in, in believers that go uh, surprisingly across generations, um, the idea of that God really would um, have a place called hell that's eternal torment, it, that, that's diminishing. That's shrinking. We've got to be able to say that, no, I do believe in a true heaven and a true hell. Um, and so it's not just this, well, um, all the songs that talk about just going to this soul sleep. And like, just so, so no, no matter how, what happens to you or how you die, you're just going to this soul sleep. No, it, it's going to be you're resurrected to life eternally or death and separation eternally. Um, when, when believers die, the soul goes immediately to the presence of Christ. Not your body, your soul so to be passed away is you're immediately in the presence of Christ. The soul is, not the body. Later on, at the end, is what Paul's talking about. He's going to res bring us resurrected bodies, new bodies that will um, not have sin and, and not be subject to um, pain, suffering, death, aging. So live for all eternity. And the beautiful thing, it's him who's, who brings all that about. 
So I'd like us to think, th- to think through in closing um, what a timely letter for us to be in this period, this cultural moment when things would seem to be changing so fast, being out of control, when global regimes and powerful warlo- warlords are, are fine with mass deaths and war as long as their greed and power and wealth rule, when evil worldly systems bent on power and wealth and fear are shamelessly set on destruction, when our own country is at its greatest identity crisis in nearly 250 years. We have one who not only came as an exile and sojourned for 33 years away from his true home, but who came to die as a ransom for our sins. And he not only died for our sins, but he was raised as a first sign and a first example that his followers will also rise and be transformed one day. And he's coming back soon. So in closing, I'd ask you, where's your heart between earthly things and Christ? Those things that we looked at being enemies of the cross of Christ. Any things that were relatable there? Which one actually gets your worship and devotion? And secondly, where do you place your trust? What are you resting in? Government? A political party? Power? Your finances? Your freedoms? Your physical health? Your hobbies? Where do you place your trust? What are you resting in? And then third, what area is the Spirit speaking to you about this morning? This is a very heavy thing that Paul brought to this church in Philippi. They felt it. They felt the culture around them. They felt their own sin in their own lives. So I want you to consider that as we uh, uh, go into this first song. Um, as Tim comes up, let me pray. Just have you time, take a time of responding, thinking through and asking the Lord to give you clarity. Father, we thank you for um, this word. Um, it hits every one of us. Every single day, Lord, I struggle with driving and wanting more, wanting things that I don't have, confessing discontentment, confessing um, argument that, that I, if I were God, I would have better things for me. I would have better um, possessions for me. We struggle with um, just daily ideals of what we would like things to be like. Father, we, we, we struggle with um, our minds being set on earthly things. And that, that can be people that truly um, have everything that, and they keep adding and adding and adding. Um, and it can be people that are just some, some of the most poverty-stricken in, in the middle class, poor, rich. It doesn't matter, Lord. Um, all of us can have hearts that are set on earthly things, whether we are able to attain them or not. So would you pull away our hardened hearts on this and let us see what we're living for? We're spending all of our time striving for just more and more and more and more. God, we, we confess to you that, that that's part of the American dream, the American way. We know that that does not necessarily mean that that is Christian at all, that it can be misleading us the entire time. So we pray that you'd give us wisdom in this. Um, it's a tough area, Lord. We can be deceived so easily. We pray, Lord, for those people right now that, that are completely displaced because of these wars. These people that are losing children, losing parents, losing family members, losing friends, their community. Whether that's in the Ukraine, whether that's in Israel and Gaza. We pray for all of those, Lord, that, that are living in a horrific time of exile. Of sojourning without home, without food, without water. And all of the, the majority of all of those in those areas, Lord, are without Christ. Palestinians worshiping their false god, Allah. The Jews worshiping what they think is the God of Abraham, but missing out on Jesus Christ. Um, In Russia, 
and uh, the Ukraine, many following um, their different um, gods that they would follow through the uh, different forms of Catholicism and works-based, and then also some of the Eastern Bloc religions, Lord. We pray that they would be able to see Christ in this time, that they would see their need for Christ. Would you use exiling people in hurtful times to get people's attention, Lord? Would you use believers and missionaries all over this planet to get people's attention on the gospel of Christ, on the cross of Christ? And again, returning back to us, would you help us to really think through whether we're living as enemies of the cross of Christ or whether we're living obediently to you, in love with you, as the first and most important thing. In your name we pray. Amen. 